I remember I got an email from the Today Show to come on and I quit my job that day because it was kind of like the sign. I was looking for something to say, Deepika, like this is a moment in time that's a cool 15 minutes of fame or you can turn it into your dream career. And so I kind of just did that and went for it. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. It's Danielle. Today, our guest is Deepika Mudyala. In 2015, Deepika went viral on YouTube when she taught people how to conceal dark under eye circles with red lipstick and concealer. After that video, her YouTube channel blew up and she quit her day job at Birchbox to become a full-time YouTuber. In 2018, Deepika founded Live Tinted, a multicultural community where makeup lovers share their thoughts, makeup tips, and their ideas about the beauty industry overall. Just one year later, Live Tinted dropped its first beauty product, the Hue Stick, which is an eye, lip, and color correcting multi-stick. Does a lot of things. Since then, Live Tinted has launched products from lip gloss to bronzer and more. This year, Deepika made Time Magazine's Next Generation Leaders list and partnered with Mattel to make the first South Asian American Barbie doll, who happens to be a CEO just like her. I love that. Deepika, welcome to Nine to Five ish. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. I mean, you've done a lot, so I'm excited to to get into the conversation. We like to do a quick lightning round, quick questions, quick answers to warm up. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. I didn't look at any prep stuff, so this is raw and real. What was the first job you got paid for? I was a secretary filing stuff at a law firm when I was in high school. Do you have any secret hobbies or skills? I'm good at basketball and nobody believes that. And I need the world to know that. I would also need the world to know that. I am not good at basketball, but if I if I was, I, I would be saying it. What languages do you speak? I speak English and Telugu, which is a South Indian language. And I'm proud to say that I kind of know how to write it too, kind of. Are you an inbox zero person? I'm an inbox currently 80,122 person. Yeah. Yeah. There's no middle ground. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Um, Right before this and then the process of dealing with our Series A funding. So it's happening in real time. Who's in your most frequently used group chat? I have the Pundu family, which is my family thread with my mom, dad, sister, and brother-in-law. And then my next one down is currently Mina Harris. I don't know if you know her. She's a founder of Phenomenal, great entrepreneur. We text maybe 10 times a day just to like get through the sanity of entrepreneur life. I love that. I mean, we're lucky Carly and I are our co-founders, but if not, you need to have that person you can text. If you could only use one makeup product for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Okay, I'm bi- I'm biased. I'm going to say my own um the Hue stick because it does so much like you said in the intro. Eye cheek and lip color. I wore it today. 
um, and also works for hyperpigmentation. I love it. And of course, we set you up to talk about your own products. <laughs> um, so you co-hosted an amazing Diwali celebration last year with Mindy Kaling. How are you celebrating this year? We're doing lots more of them. Um, it's really cool because I feel like that Diwali party last year that we did really opened up the sort of, I don't know, desire is the right word or just, it, I had never seen that before. There has never been 16 South Asian women in media sitting together at a table creating our own tables because they've never been made for us, cheersing to each other. And I feel like the ripple effect of that has been so beautiful, which is what the goal was of doing that, to say that we can win together, we should be supporting each other. And I think we all independently felt that way, but it was the first time we came together to actually say it in a, a beautiful, intimate environment. And what's cool is this year, there's like 10x more of those happening because I think, you know, once you see it, you believe it and can do it too. What was your reaction when you learned you were going to be a Barbie doll? <laughs> um, I, it was surreal. I mean, I think, you know, you have your list of dream collaborations and partnerships that you want to do. And there isn't anything that tops that. Because I, in the early days of Live Tinted, dreamt of doing a collab with American Girl because I thought that that was the most realistic option for a brown girl to collaborate with. And the fact that then Barbie happened and they made it so tied to like who I am and down to like, I want the eyes to be as big as my South Indian eyes and the jumkas, the Indian earrings, like the little the details. Um, I don't know if there's a partnership that I am like craving beyond what happened there. And I'm, I'm just really deeply proud of it. That is so cool. I agree with you. Having the Mattel partnership it's just, it's awesome. Totally. And so I think congratulations. specifically with the Barbie, like, yes, I grew up playing with both also, but I grew up playing with a Barbie that looked absolutely nothing like me. And it, it deeply kind of was part of the problematic experience I had as a child that I think has led to me wanting to build this brand. So it, it felt really, really good. So let's talk about that. Not you as, as a little girl playing with Barbies, but in general, talk to me a little bit about what life was like growing up for you. So I grew up in Texas, um, Sugar Land, a suburb of Houston, and it, I wouldn't say it was, um, it wasn't diverse because I think especially now, if you go to Sugar Land, there's a lot of Asian people there. And I, I think it's, I did grow up around a lot of South Asian people. I think the difference was the cool kids, the people that you wanted to fit in with all had blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, and then you turn on the TV when I go to my friends' homes, because it's not like I had MTV at home, God forbid my family do that. But when I would go to people's houses and see the TV and media, you'd see the same depiction of beauty. And then I'd go to the stores with my mom and see the same depiction of beauty. So it was this constant sort of brainwashing and, and, and feeling of what I looked like in my natural state was not enough. And it really messed with me. I mean, I transformed myself. I dyed this beautiful jet black hair into blonde streaks. I got blue contacts. No, I'm yeah. like, your hair is so beautiful. I now feel that way, but man, I, and, and it, and now I'm like, I can't believe I damaged it so much with those streaks. And I'm so proud of so much of these things now that I wasn't then, but yeah, then I got the blue contacts. I, um, avoided the sun. I wanted to hide under an umbrella, you know, the exact opposite of what my girlfriends were doing who were trying to get tan, I was 
actively trying to get lighter. (laughs) So it was a very odd, different experience. I remember one day because I wanted to fit in and my girlfriend was tanning, I was like, okay, well, I'm supposed to tan. And I didn't even own a bikini because that was so not in our culture. So I borrowed one of hers and I was like, I'm laying out. And I went home and my mom was like hysterically crying because I came home so many shades darker. And within the Indian culture, fair is considered beautiful. And I think in so many cultures around the world, the standard of beauty is, you know, the Eurocentric standard of beauty. And so it was a really eye-opening moment for me to see my mom cry because my skin got darker. I mean, think of how much that can mess you up. So because of all of those experiences as a kid, I've made it my mission to build a brand that transforms that narrative, hopefully for young girls today. So I want to go back to 2015 and this viral moment. In one of your videos, you showed people this hack for covering up hyperpigmentation, specifically under eye circles with lipstick. Was that a moment that shifted your thinking when it came to your own career? Like, did you ever expect that to become what it did? Absolutely not. I um, I didn't even have ad revenue activated on YouTube. Like that video has 10 million views. I had quit my job to go and do this influencer thing full time. Like it would have been nice to get that ad revenue. Um, But I didn't know what I was doing. It was my second video. I filmed it on my phone and it was vertical, you know, but I think, yes, I always knew I wanted to start this brand, but my path I thought was working on the corporate side of the beauty industry, go to business school, then start this brand. And I think when that video went viral, it added this like layer of life as a beauty influencer. So it was wild. I was working at Birchbox at the time. And I remember I got an email from the Today Show to come on air to do the segment. And I quit my job that day because it was kind of like the sign. I felt like I, I was looking for something to say, Deepika, like this is a moment in time that's a cool 15 minutes of fame, or you can turn it into your dream career. And so I kind of just did that and went for it. I now think back and I'm like, I can't believe I just went for it. Like, how was I going to pay the bills? I mean, all the questions, but at the time it was the, of course, I'm going to just do it thought process. So you talk a lot about your parents and how hard it was for you to kind of come out and be like, yeah, I'm an influencer and it's a real career. And, and I feel proud of this, which given your success is, is crazy, but I get it as someone who quit a job, my parents did not understand. Now they're like, oh yeah. Like back in the day, that was not the reaction. For our listeners who may have family members who have similar dreams for their kids as as yours did, what's your advice for them on how to manage parents' expectations on what you want to do versus, you know, what is important to them and what they want for you? You know, I try to see it from their perspective as parents who immigrated here from India, just trying to create the best most fulfilling life for their children. You know, I went to my parents where they grew up a couple years ago and it was just this very emotional experience. And I I couldn't believe this is how my mom lived, you know? And I never knew how privileged I was while I was growing up, right? And so I think for me, I put myself in their shoes and said, they don't mean to make my life difficult. They don't mean to say, you must go be a doctor or else because I'm trying to make your life miserable. From their perspective, they wanted me to live the American dream. And in their eyes, the American dream was to be respected in America. And respect in America comes from being educated in America. 
that's the kind of mental journey I went through and realized, you know, it's not that they don't believe in me. It's not that they don't want to support me. It's that they just want to assure the highest percentage chance that my daughter will be happy and successful and respected in America. I just, I had to let them know that I got this. Like, I got this. Like, it's almost this, this same self-belief that I had when I quit my job. I had to kind of fake to my own family in the beginning to be like, I've got this figured out. We're going to be fine. And I have actually asked my parents recently about it. I'm like, what? Like, why were you okay with me just doing this? And they said to me that, you know, Deepika, when I look back on it in my brain, I wanted you to get it out of your system at that age because I knew you and your personality, you were going to go for it anyways. But I figured let her just do it. And then we can just figure out what happens afterwards and let's do it quick. But they by no means expected me, honestly, to succeed at the, at the rate that I, I have. So I want to talk about the reason why you started Live Tinted in, in 2018 so that other makeup lovers who had the same concerns as you did, such as colorism, hyperpigmentation, feeling limited by Western beauty standards, had a space to talk about those things. What did creating that do for you personally? Oh, man, it was very healing. It was almost therapeutic for me. So many people, when I was saying, I'm going to one day start my own beauty brand, were like, so start it. You have an audience. You, Deepika, are a personality. You're an influencer. Start the brand. Why do you need to start this community outside of yourself? And I think I just, I felt like this needed to exist. It was part of my purpose to bring people together around these shared experiences of feeling left out of the beauty industry. At that time, I didn't see even the allures of the world talking to people like me. I mean, so much has changed since, which is amazing. But at that time, I just wanted to spark conversation about colorism, facial hair, things that I was just so embarrassed about growing up and just have a forum for people to feel like they weren't alone. This is a shared experience that can bring people together and let's create products to service these people who don't feel like there's things out there speaking to them. There's a few things in what you just said. And the first is what you found from that community. And the second is kind of what the community was finding from you. So you went from being an influencer to being a CEO of your own company within just a few years. What was it like to recognize that it's one thing to create a brand and it's another to turn that brand into a business? Was there an aha moment? Well, I think I had a few data points that were my aha moments starting back to the viral video. So the fact that my second video went viral and has 10 million views and it was a global, like I looked at the data and it was like US, Brazil, India, UK. It made me realize this is a shared experience globally to have dark circles. So there was this hypothesis that there needs to be a product created to service this need. But then it's now 2018, it's three years later. And I'm thinking, well, surely the beauty industry created a solution in the last three years. But then with this community now formed, I simply would have them be our focus group. Nothing fancy, you know, like bringing, it was, it was Instagram polls asking them, what are your number one beauty concerns. They all said hyperpigmentation and dark circles. So between the two of those moments, I kind of had this like, okay, 98% of you are saying that's still your problem. Clearly there hasn't been a solution made. So I think that a few of those data points made me realize there is a need to create a solution here. And so that's kind of the inception of the Hue Stick and how we started. And again, I did not have a whole pipeline of products in my brain ready to go. It was like, 
there's this immediate solution that I know because of a couple data points now. Let's create a product. Let's see how the community responds and grow accordingly. I want to shift gears a little bit to talking about a decision that you made somewhat recently, which was to freeze your eggs because you wanted to have the ability to focus on your career. I really appreciate you talking about it because I feel like it is something that, to your point, unless you know about it firsthand or unless you know people who have done it, it seems like a really kind of like far off decision. How have you felt about it? And what was your thinking in being like, I don't know if I want this right now, or I don't know if I want it in general, but I'm going to make this decision for my future? You know, I think at the time, it just felt like a task I needed to get done. And I didn't imagine it would be as emotional of a journey that it ended up becoming. But at the moment, I was like, well, I want to have kids one day and I'm on no track to having them anytime soon. So of course I'm going to get my eggs frozen. But I think as I started to say that out loud and have the conversations with my family, which that was the layer, right? Like within my culture, I mean, it's just, it's not really talked about at all anyways, but then let alone within South Asian culture, it's like, my mom was like, what are you talking about? Like you, you get married, you have kids and that's that. She didn't even understand the concept. And I think that's what made me realize, like, I want to vlog this journey for my audience on YouTube because I'm going through this with my mom. That was kind of like the aha moment that I realized there must be other girls out there that are having the same kind of conversations. And I just wanted to normalize it. It's really that simple. Like for me at that moment, I was like, well, I'm going to do this. And it, it wasn't an emotional experience for me until it was when I started to go through it. And I was doing it while I was raising my seed round of funding and the roller coaster of that, you know very well that it is an, it is a nightmare. It's like one of the hardest journeys you go through as an entrepreneur. And then you're going through this process where you're injecting yourself with hormones every single day, but you also don't want to be the girl that's like, Oh, sorry, my hormones are out of control in your, in a meeting. And so you're just going through all of that. And at the time I was actually like dating somebody, which was also another emotional journey of like, do we need to do this? And then all the things and thank God I (laughs) listened to myself and still had it happen and went through with it all. I want to say this in such simplistic terms on here because I want people to just be like, okay, this is something I'm just going to do as an insurance policy in my life. It it is not a cheap process. So thank you for asking because yeah, even just saying it out loud makes somebody out there think, oh, you know what? I'm just going to at least go get checked because you don't even think about that. That's step one, right? Just go and find out how fertile you are. That's That in itself will help you be educated and informed to say, maybe this is something I should do. No, I totally agree with you. And I think it's something on that point that needs to be talked about so that you don't feel like you have to make a decision, but you just have the information or parts of the information to think about how it comes together. So thank you for sharing that journey. I want to go back to your role as a (laughs) champion for diversity. And I chuckled a little bit because I think that's become such a a buzzword, right? Like, how are you championing DEI? But you actually really have um, from (laughs) being open about your story to what you've created in a brand and what you've created as a business. How does it feel to be one of a few in an industry? What is it like now to be one of a few who have broken out? I'm sure there's a lot more you want to do, but looking back on it, you're a success in so many ways. 
Yeah. I mean, I've been having a lot of deep reflections on this, right? Because this word success is so relative and it's constant. And if you don't sit back and smell the roses and actually say to yourself, I am successful, it'll just be a constant hamster wheel of going and going. And so I did have that moment recently. I I, I don't know if it was, I think it was like a life coach or someone who I spoke to that just said like, I need to be proud of what I've done this far and recognize that I am successful exactly where I am today. And the rest should feel like a cherry on top rather than like you must exit your company and become a unicorn billion dollar business in order to be considered successful. And I think for me, it is this idea of being a champion for diversity before it was trendy to be those things. Like this is the core of who I am and what makes me happy and what I hope that my company is remembered for. I do have these deep reflections and I do think about like, wow, we made the first South Asian CEO American Barbie come into the world. And I'm so proud of that. And if I don't take a second to do that, I'm going to constantly think I'm never doing enough. And then what? Like then how do I ever stop? And how do I ever stop and have a personal life and then have the kids that I want and focus on the things that make me happy outside of, you know, just my career and things like that. So I think for me, it's been a lot of deep reflections on what does success mean to me? And I think a lot of you should ask yourself that, but the key word is to me, not like to society, not to the world, not to others. What is success to me? And I think I've now so happy to see how many South Asian women are out there, women of color, women, period, going out there and breaking barriers and building companies that they are doing on their terms. And I just feel like when I started, it was very, very slim pickings, you know? And I, I, I like to focus on the positive aspect of this. The progress that has happened is incredible, but I definitely do struggles. You know, sometimes I, I have like a CEO complex of, am I the best person to be running this company? Because I enjoy the soul and the heart aspect of it. But having to think about the sales and the business sometimes take away from the joy of building in a way that feels as authentic to you as possible. Deepika, we got to get a drink because everything you said about the success question, every time we're asked that, oh, when did you know it was going to be success? I'm like, I don't know. Like I still, every day I'm like, well, just because we had this and this and this, there's, you know, X, Y, and Z that still has to be done. And I also think, you know, I'm married, I have two kids and it's never, even at that point, it's not like you stop. It's just, and it's like, I'm now trying to be successful at this and this and this. And the, and goes, if you're lucky, keeps growing. And so I think one of the things I'm working on is, you know, how can I be view what I've created so far as successful with still wanting to do more. So when you figure that out, you know, (laughs) isn't it funny how we see ourselves because I, as an outsider, see the skim and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is like the biggest thing ever. Um, and then some people say that to me about my company and I'm like, today I was, I had a mentor call mentorship call with um, a mentee earlier and she was like, oh my God, you're closing your funding. That is amazing. I was like, thank you. I literally said it like that. And she was like, you need to go celebrate. And I was like, it's because I'm going through the trauma of how hard that experience has been. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, it just now means that I have a lot more people that I have to create an ROI for. (laughs) So it's just, I do get it. And, and yes, and people, you know, don't realize that when you close a round of funding, it's a lot yeah. to take on, right? With the money comes a lot, which could be a whole other 
podcast, but you do need to celebrate. I will say I'm really bad at celebrating those moments. Carly really forced us to celebrate and I'm happy that she did. So definitely take some time because there's always going to be more work. So like take a beat. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think um, also the the celebration definition changes at this age. It's like, oh, I don't need to go like do shots or get a drink. I need to give myself a, a you get a good night's rest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm right there. I'm like, oh, could I get like nine hours sleep? That would be amazing. Um, so we talked a lot about the change that you've seen. What's something that you still want to see? I think more people being vulnerable and that very much includes men. And I think it's actually very important that it also includes men in the world of business, just because I think we are all so taught to like boss up and be the definition of a CEO looks like what you Google and you see someone in a buttoned up suit and they walk into a room and they're fierce and they're like, whatever. And I'm not saying we can't be that, but also accepting that you can be layered and you can be multifaceted and not only that can you be that, but you should encourage that. And I just think we need to have more people like yourself and me openly saying out loud that I don't have all the answers. I don't have it figured out, but yes, I am running this business. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it well and make it a huge business, but it's also just honest. And I think the more people are honest, the more other people will feel comfortable saying they can do it too. Because that intimidation factor I think stops a lot of people, a lot of women, a lot of women of color from just going for it. I want to get to two final things. We have a listener question from Alicia. Alicia wants to know, aside from inclusion and representation, what are other important conversations you think the beauty industry needs to start having? I think as a society outside of beauty, but then definitely beauty is guilty of it. The waste consumption issue is wild, just wild. And I think everyone is slowly getting there. And I think the shaming of it all needs to stop because it scares people from even starting it. No one's going to be perfect. And, you know, the greenwashing sort of narratives scare me that I I don't want to say we're a sustainable brand or eco-friendly brand. We're, We're not, but we're trying as a small business to do what we can to just do a little better. And I think if everyone realizes they just need to do a little bit, it makes a massive difference in the world. So I I think that's a big conversation that's starting now that I'm excited to see how it's going to just progress over the next few years. Who is someone we should have on the show? Have you had Mina Harris? No, we have not had Mina on yet. We would love to have have Mina Harris. She's a fascinating human being and a real girl's girl. And I think she'd be a phenomenal guest. Deepika, congratulations on everything. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. 